This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, welcome to the first episode of Enemies. I am Lisa Traeger. Thanks for finding your way to my show. This is so exciting that I get to be in a long string of comedians doing podcast intros alone in true clinical narcissism. If you found me through SVU, hello, murder girls from comedy. What up, bitches? Um, if you just love fights, enemies, you're a headgum fanatic, whatever way you found me, amazing. Um, I was inspired to do this for many different reasons. One is my track record of fighting, uh, uh, arguments, enemies. I use that word all the time. I had an ex once say that dating me was like dating Magneto, where everywhere I went, I was like, that's my enemy. Obviously, life's about growing, going forward. But you know, still, I care about justice. And if I hate you, I hate you, but I'm trying to have it affect me less, whatever. Is this therapy? Kind of. I'm very excited about this. Now, I do have to say one element that I was not anticipating was that people that I'm enemies with or don't really love or they don't like me are not returning my messages. So that was something I didn't think about because to me, um, I'm very open. <laughs> I I chat often and not that, but this is my issue where like the further you are from me, the easier it was. Like for me, the closer you are to me, the harder it is to communicate effectively and freely because of my relationship with conflict and how I was raised and we're all coming from different places. I get into it in this episode. I have an amazing, amazing guest, but not a full-blown enemy at all because they're not hitting me back up. Some are dear, dear friends that we've had rough patches and I'm like, hey, let's talk about it. And they're like, I'm really no interest in talking about it with strangers. No, thank you. So that's it. But hopefully all of those types of people will come on to listen to your voicemails. Hello, voicemail, email. Um, the gig is if you need cool comic friends, you know, for the future episodes and experts to give you advice or you want to come on and confront someone, 323-677-1943. That's just some business out of the way. Anyways, about the enemies. So some people just don't want to publicly fight with others. Some do. Are they interesting? We'll see. Some we've patched up and it's been great. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be self-deprecating from the get-go. And just so you know, I am in a towel and I have one of those things on my head, like a towel, like building swirly hat empress turban situation that's the word i was looking for you'll learn um more and more if you're a new person to me as a human is i say things incorrectly i'm an immigrant get over it i am from the soviet union so that may also give a glimmer of why i am some would say tough harsh love um see wrong again anyway some of the people that i've argued with it is kind of vulnerable to be like hey will you come on and talk about all our fights and then what if their response is like i never think or care about you at all and i don't even remember these but in my head i hate you that's embarrassing especially like some of the people i really hate have become very successful and i don't want to feed into them thinking they're cool in their success so that's my own self just like a lot of self-centered stuff i know these two porn stars that don't get along and so i messaged them one was down and one wasn't and 
I think it's because the person who doesn't want to come on, they're embarrassed of their actions because some people I'm reaching out to, they're not responding. And it's like, oh, I hope it's because you know that you suck and you're embarrassed about the way you treated me. And where is my apology? That's been kind of a journey to see how many people are not into having conflict or talking shit out or or maybe they just don't care about me and they're excellent in their day to day lives. Some agree to do it then like reschedule or I can't do it. They have no loyalty to me at all. But seeing how uncomfortable this situation is for a lot of people and wanting to communicate, it makes me want to do this show even more and excited that you guys are listening because conflicts all around us. We have to be with coworkers, with family, with friends, in relationships, exes. What comes to mind is, you know, Miranda and Sex in the City, where she's so mad at the Chinese food employee who she thinks is laughing at her. And then it's just like a giggly girl. So some stuff's in our head but about the self-centeredness of this all like hearing myself talk introducing this thing it's like my face my it's it's a lot I wanted to shout out this incredible article that came out it's called comedians are annoying by Olivia Craighead it was on Gawker and it was basically like a response to Che Diaz um, the Sarah Ramirez's portrayal of a comedian on just like that the Sex and the City reboot and uh, they're causing a stir because they're so annoying and cringy and difficult to not uh, look away from the screen and this uh, article says yeah it's actually the most uh, perfect portrayal of a comedian and Sarah deserves all the awards because comedians are fucking annoying it was just such a teardown but in the smartest most insightful way and i absolutely loved it she said that we're the worst version of entertainers because comics want to be famous for themselves like not a fictional character not an acting situation it's like listen to me talk which is psycho it is it is are we sociopath no i'm not i mean we'll get into stuff so if i didn't have such a great sense of humor um I mean, I'm sure there's comedians that are pissed off and don't think they're annoying, but I recently introduced a friend to a few friends that were comics and she had a great time out and loved hanging out, but I was noticing they didn't ask her one question. Not a follow, not, I was going to say no follow, not a question about her. Um, and I was like, yep, that is, uh, that, those are my people, I guess, <laughs> but I, I am good at asking questions and you'll see in this future interview. I first heard this guest, Danielle Bayard Jackson, on the world's first podcast with Aaron and Sarah Foster, and they are sisters, blonde, hot, rich. So it's kind of like, do we care what they say or not? It's like watching Celebrity Family Feud, where these Celebrity Family Feud people don't know what regular people would answer, so their answers are off the wall. Like, like what is the number one cleaning tool? They don't know. They have no idea, Well, which is rude. Obviously, they have feelings and they're people with problems. I obviously got obsessed with our guest, Danielle. She is a friendship coach. She used to work in PR. She also taught high school English. She's kind of a superstar. So she is a friendship coach. I learned so much. Um, this interview with Danielle inspired me to work on my communication, rid my life of relationships that were not feeding me anymore, really think about the patterns in my life. And I yeah, so it's amazing. So we have a friendship expert who specializes in female friendship and she coaches friends because why not? They're important relationships and let's try not to make friends into enemies um, and learn about how to maintain good relationships in your life and how to deal with not good friendships and relationships in your life. Get excited. She's been featured in the Washington Post. She has a book coming out and... 
I just really enjoyed her and I hope you like the podcast enemies forever. Okay. Have fun. Thank you for joining us. I'm obsessed with you. You truly changed my life when I heard you on the Foster Sisters podcast. It has made me a more effective communicator within my friendships and just really made me think about so many things. So I'm honored that you're here. Beforehand, congrats on maternity leave, having a baby. How has everything been? Everything's been really great. You know, I have Tylenol and all the things for my personal recovery. You don't hear much about that. So I'm good. Baby's good. Family's good. And um, I'm like giving my husband like the death eyes as we're about to record this. Keep that baby quiet. So we're all good over here, you know. And how are your friends? Shock it. You didn't mention how your friends are reacting to the babes. My friends are good. They're all so excited. And it just, it always takes your friendship to the next level when you go through some big change because I am not as available as I used to be. And so you hope that you have friends who accommodate and they're patient and they extend that grace. And I don't text back like I normally do because everything's going on. So it's nice to rest in a security that you have friends who know you'll be back around when you can. Absolutely. As someone who's all of my best friends are married and have children that I live near, And as a single person without kids, it does become difficult because you will never be a priority to your friends, but it's all I have. And so that's been a struggle for me. And I know I'm loved and I know uh, they're good friends, but it does feel lonely even with all the love I do have. I didn't know we'd get so deep so fast, but I was wondering (laughs) how if there's advice or how to deal with it when your friends are in this big next stage and you're just... You're not. If I had to rank like the top five things that women bring me as a coach, this would be in those rankings is, you know, how do we remain friends when we're navigating different life stages? I love her. We have this shared history, but something new has transpired and we don't have any experience being friends in this space. And there are a couple of things to keep in mind. If your friends are going off, getting married, having babies, and you're like, okay, I love her, but I don't so much has changed. There's a couple of things to keep in mind. The first is to try to find ways to accommodate the change and try not to focus so much on what those actual changes are, like a baby, a husband. But if you had any kind of lifestyle change or adopted a new hobby or you advance to your career, it's going to take up your time and it becomes priority. And so trying to show a little grace. The second thing would be to remember that it's not forever because a lot of times we kind of spiral down like, oh, I guess this is what our friendship is now. A lot of times it's just a season. So especially if she's newly married, maybe she's like in that phase, but trust me, she'll be back around in a year when she's like, okay, he's obnoxious. Just, you know, hypothetically, maybe she'll be over her husband (laughs) and ready to get back out there with her friends. So reminding yourself that this is just a season. And then last thing is, I know we say communicate all the time and it's like not a revolutionary, you know, concept, but a lot of times as friends, ironically, we feel like of all the people we want to share with, we can't share with our friend and she should be the person we should be able to tell. But we're trying to be mindful of her feelings. We don't want to look like we're being clingy, that we're being needy to verbalize to her, man, I miss you or I don't see you like I used to. So finding ways to communicate that, I see a lot of miscommunication in this stage. I see women who are like, well, she's got the baby, so I'm not going to bother her. And that turns into not contacting her for a month, but you're doing it for a noble reason. It's just that on the face, it looks like you haven't checked in and she hasn't checked in with you. And so to say something like that's not accusatory, but to say, oh, I miss you. Can we get together Wednesday at seven? 
or whatever it is and finding a way to be able to accommodate the ways in which she is available. So maybe now it looks like a phone call really quick instead of a three hour happy hour. But are you okay with that? And so just keeping those things in mind and showing grace and communicating what you need might help you to get closer to what it is you want from her, which is her time and attention. I actually I loved that. And you mentioned it on the other podcast I heard you on is like, hanging out looks different. And it could be I have laundry to do come chat with me. And that has really helped me where I I will run errands or I will go to Target with somebody. And I really loved how things can shift. What if you hate your friend's spouse? <laughs> yeah. What if they suck? Uh, what if they <laughs> you really try and you know, you don't want to get involved? But what if they just suck? Yeah, yeah, total possibility. <laughs> this happens all the time. It yeah. really does, actually. So a couple of things. One is to make sure, I mean, the way you're saying this, the person probably definitely sucks, but to make sure that you're separating your feelings about the shift in the dynamic from your personal feelings of the guy. So a lot of times we see that relationship equals less time with our friend, a change in dynamics. We don't see her as much. She's starting to adopt new interests and we're like, who are you with him? And so can we separate the the feelings we have toward this loss from how we feel about him because sometimes they're not one and the same. The second thing is to ask more questions than making statements. So instead of, yeah, well, he's kind of a liar or he's kind of a jerk. You see that, right? You know, instead maybe asking questions like, so, so what is it about him? What's like, how is he putting this magic spell on you? What do you love so much about him? And getting curious, which I know sounds corny, but I think you'd be surprised to see how much is revealed from her perspective because he's obviously offering her something. So to even ask straight up, girl, what is the appeal? Help me see it. She might might surprise you with what it is about her partner that attracts her so much, which might help you to have at least a little more compassion or understanding where you can get to a place where you're like, I don't get it, but I appreciate that that this is something that does something for you. And then finally, remember, you don't have to be his friend. Sometimes the girls who are in the middle want everybody to love each other and they're trying to help you all like be friends and they want to hang out. And it's just not it's just not going to work because you guys don't gel. And so how can I support your marriage? And if there's a new milestone in your marriage, show up for you and love on you, but not have to be in the same room and be hunky dory all the time and be fake. And so how can I separate the two? Um, and finally, you know, this is a, the toughest one, but trying your best not to talk crap about him because it's only going to make her feel more defensive over him and give them that it's us against the world kind of feeling because they feel like other people just don't get their love. And so it draws her closer to him. And then by extension, you're doing something that's contradictory to your objective, which is pushing her away because she feels like you just don't get it and might be tired of having to constantly defend her relationship. Maybe talk to your other friends about how much he sucks, but with her. Her just really tried to put on a face. I'm really glad you brought up the shit talking, the gossip. It is one of my <laughs> worst qualities, I would say, as a person. I, yeah, people know I like to gossip. People come to me with their secrets and it is a, a pastime. What is the difference? What is healthy venting, talking about friends within a friend group versus you're just shit talking now? Is there a positive ways to gossip? Is it always bad? I guess, what are your opinions on shit talking within a friend group? Yeah, I got to be honest. I get 
the appeal. And if anything, there's research that shows that it actually connects us. Like when we discover that there's somebody we don't like, like mutually, it makes us feel closer to each other. So it's actually a thing to feel like, oh, I feel closer to my friend to not like this other person in common is actually something that brings us together and research, you know, shows that. Also, when it comes to gossip, it was originally like a positive thing and it's taken on this negative thing. At the heart of it, it just refers to talking and sharing information about other people, an objective exchange of information about another person. And it actually remains the number one topic that we chat about with each other is other people. Yeah, I hate that quote where it's like, good people talk about ideas, bad people talk about other people. And I always see that quote as a personal attack for sure. And it's like funny people talk about other people. And it's tricky, but you know, exchanging information about other people. It is how we learn cultural norms. So if I'm learning about something that happened with this group of people, by extension, I learn what's acceptable and what's not based on what people are saying about them. So at the heart of it, it can be actually helpful to exchange information about others or to try to figure out other people's motivations. So let's say I'm new at work and people are telling me, yeah, you probably don't want to do that because John got fired over that when he did that last week. So it sounds like we're talking crap, but it's also them informing me, letting me know what the norms are. So it can be positive. I think it becomes negative when um, we're adding our own speculations to it. So like, yeah, so she got a new apartment. Yeah, good for her. I heard it's her dad's money. So good for her. And so like those kinds of things, it turns into like rumor and like other things. But I think at the end of the day, we know our intention when we're talking about another person. If we're trying to establish motivation, gosh, I don't know what she sees in him. Well, she says that she likes his yada, yada, yada. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. So sometimes we're trying to work out people's motivations and understand them better, or we're trying to talk about an issue we have with the friend, with a mutual friend. Those things are all helpful. We're processing, exploring. And I think once we realize the intention is to poke fun or humiliate or things like that, it becomes something different. Um, And so, yeah, I think the whole conversation around gossip sometimes gets really black and white and there is a little nuance to it. Yeah, I feel if you keep it inside, it's okay. That's what I always say, because I do discuss my friends with other friends and I know that they're probably doing the same thing and I have to be kind of okay with that. But there's a spiral. It like spirals. I don't know shit talking is a big thing for me. I don't know. But I did recently end a big friendship of over a decade. And I I did do a strict boundary with our friend group that I don't want to hear anything about that person. They've really all followed it. But anytime I get a nugget, I'm happy to have it. So it's like (laughs) sick. I set up these boundaries. But when someone slips, I'm like very excited to (laughs) jump into it. Do you follow all your rules? What are your friends like? How long have you been in your friendships? What are the dynamics in your life with your friends? I try my best to follow the things I say, but they're hard because at the end of the day, it's advice on things that are just relational in general, like being with other people. And that sometimes is just hard, you know, at the heart of it. And so I try my best to to take my own advice, but I always tell people, I think the reason why I'm so kind of obsessed with this whole friendship space, you know, a lot of times people will ask, oh, how did you get into this? What's the story? And I think sometimes they expect me to say things like, well, I just really love my girls and I want everybody to just share my same passion. And uh, the real reason is because I used to be a really crappy friend. I've been selfish. I've broken girl code. I'll let you speculate as to what that means. I've been 
exclusive with my friend group and not letting other girls in, even though you can see that they desire companionship too. I've been overly sensitive. I've ghosted because I didn't know what to say. I've done all the things. And so I feel like I'm especially passionate about working in this space because I've seen the consequences of not getting it right, how it turned into loneliness and paranoia and you know cynicism and just all those things when you can't get your friendships together. And because of that, I feel like that's why maybe I'm on the right track now. And so I try my best to apply what I've learned. Surprisingly, being a, a friendship researcher, a friendship enthusiast has even helped, you know, in my marriage because I learn all these things about how to speak to other people. And essentially, friendship is even at the heart of our romantic relationships. Like at the end of the day, your partner should be your friend first. And so I see myself learning all these things and I'm like, gosh, it just helps me in just general relational situations. You know, my friends, I'm happy that they're diverse and they look like the world that we live in. And I'm proud that they're patient with me. I've had to take my own advice about having hard conversations. That doesn't stop just because I'm in this space. Sometimes I've got to get my courage up too and, and get ready before I bring it up. All my friendships are richer for it. I'm just trying to share the things that I'm learning with other women so they can experience the same kind of joy that I have with the women in my life. Have you ever reached out to those previous friendships where you have ghosted or fucked up a little bit? Has that ever occurred? Have you reached out and been like, actually, I fucked up? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, actually, the last one I remember. And it was like on December 31st and we were going into a new year. And I was like, I'm not going into another year, you know, with this. And I sent a long email about how I was not there. She accused me of not being there for her, which is relative. I, I hear from a lot of women. She didn't support me, but it's like she does think she was supporting you. But you never told her the kind of support you needed, you know. So I thought I was checking in enough. And also we she was closer to me than I felt to her. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about that, but, you know, research tells us that only 50% of our friendships are reciprocal, meaning that maybe I'm a level nine in her life. But for me, she was like a level four, which sounds harsh, but that's what it was. And so she had higher expectations of me than I had for her. She wanted us to be checking in weekly, but for me, I just, I wasn't invested the same way. And it turned out into her telling me I, I wasn't supportive. I wasn't a good friend. And I sent a long email to say like, no, I didn't check in the way you expected. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry. I wasn't more responsive. I hope you forgive me. And she didn't. And I think a lot of times we expect the story ends with her saying, wow, thank you so much for that. And she didn't forgive me and she couldn't forgive me. You know, I had to accept that and extract lessons from that and apply them in my present. You know, so yeah, so I've had to reach out and say, I messed up or I know I fell short. I think that's one of the reasons why people who are self-confident, they tell us, enjoy better friendships. You have to be secure in yourself to be able to apologize and, and to verbalize hard things and things like that. So I've messed up. Yes, I've owned it. Yes, sometimes it worked out and a lot of times it didn't. But did you even want to be her friend or was it like cleansing of your actions? It was kind of release for me, but I yeah. felt the need to, to let her know that I know how she perceived it and that I was sorry that was her experience of me. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel so much of all relationships, it's like resentment, expectations, communication. That's what it can kind of fully be boiled down to, just having expectations for each other. In terms of support, I had a friend where... My dad had heart surgery. Mm. I remember crying to this person, letting them know I was so scared. I thought we were very close friends. And that's the thing where the nine and the four, like, I think I was a 10 in this person's life. I know that this person loved me, but they didn't reach out again for weeks. Days after my dad's surgery, I got a text that had nothing to do with him. And I really was like, I'm done. 
with this friendship because it wasn't just this moment, but to me, it magnified how I fit into this person's life and that I would not be getting this. I've tried to communicate it. I took too long to communicate why I was ghosting this person and they didn't really see it. They're like, haven't you been there? Haven't you like messed up and not reached out to someone? And I was like, it's not about this one moment. It's where I don't think you actually see me or care about me and I'm a side person in your life. They did not get where I was coming from. Do they have to understand it for me to end a friendship? Is it immature to end a friendship for something that small? It didn't seem small to me. I don't know. I, I don't have a specific question, but it, it's been something I've been dealing with this past year where I was really yeah, hurt. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, conflict, you know, first we have to establish conflict is inevitable. A lot of women, we have this this idea of what friendship should be because of the media we consume and all these things. And even from the time we're younger, you know, we're saying mantras like best friends forever. So we expect that it's going to last forever from when we're young girls. And so then when we get into it and we have issues, we're like, oh, I guess we're not as close as I thought. Or, oh, I guess we because we have not yet normalized conflict, healthy conflict in our female friendships to be able to say, girl, that was not cool what you said yesterday. And then to move on the next day. Without, That's a you big know, problem for me. Because it's, it's so how hard. you're raised. Because I was raised in a home where if there's an issue, we would scream at each other, then mm. silent treatment for days and then pretend like nothing happened. Never an apology. I'm from Russia. No, no discussions, no apologies, no accountability ever. Just recently in the past few years with going to therapy and having all these issues with my friends, I've learned I'd never had the tools to communicate my issues. And so when there was conflict, I was bye. Like, I'm done because I didn't know how to even have healthy conflict. Only good in the past you. maybe year or two have I been able to do that. Yeah, good for you. I, I love hearing how you're like, oh, I realize that I've been doing this and operating that way has, you know, cost me this. It's just so mature of you. And I love that for you. And I can't wait to see like how that benefits all your friendships in the future because you have this information now. But yeah, conflict is tricky for us. And we tend to leave whenever something happens. And I think we're ending a lot of female friendships prematurely because we're like, I don't know how to operate. This was weird. Let me just fade out. As far as is that too small of a thing to break up for? You know, I, I get that question a lot. What are the signs it's time? And I wish I could list. These are the 12 offenses. If they commit <laughs> any of them, they're done. You know, but at the end of the day, a lot of it is relative. The only thing that I push for very strongly is, did you articulate the thing first? That's my biggest issue is we'll justify cutting somebody off or releasing a friendship. And as soon as I, you know, ask the client or, or somebody I'm working with, Okay, so does she know? Does she know that that's been bothering you for two years? Well, no, but she should know. Like, that's so obvious. She, sh You know, and, and we do that a lot. If you're my friend, you should know. I shouldn't have to say it. And which is weird because we know in romantic relationships, we're probably going to have to communicate our needs, our boundaries, our desires. But in a friendship, we have this unspoken expectation that we'll be so close, it will transcend any need to have to communicate. I shouldn't have to say it because you're my girl. And it's just not fair. You know, as far as something too small to cut it off, I can't tell you that. I would just wonder, is it something that you made known beforehand this person had access to the information and they chose to operate differently because now we have a different issue. You knew what I told you makes me feel good or makes me feel seen or makes me feel uncomfortable. And you were like, yeah, I'm not going to honor that. Now we have an issue, right? And so if I've never told them and given them access to that information, it's just tricky to hold them to an expectation they weren't aware of. So for you in this situation and that being such a significant moment for you to not have them reach out to you, that's what support looks like. And they did not show up in that way. So at the end of the day, it's for you to say, if you know what, I feel like I, I can't see this friendship the same. I can't forgive that. And I have to move forward. 
you know, then that's the choice that you make. And hopefully they understand. And if they don't, it is what it is. And sometimes our friends don't have to understand. Sometimes we drive ourselves crazy trying to explain. And, you know, a lot of life and and ending relationships is they may never get it. But at what point do you say, it's okay that you don't understand? I know I tried my best to, to communicate it, but I have to move forward whether you get it and accept it or not. And it just is what it is. How do you know whether... I guess it's how you feel, but like to shift expectations of a person versus I need these things and you're just not hitting it. Because a lot of it, expectations ruin things. And I, I wanted to focus on meeting this person where they are and accepting what they can give me. Mm-hmm. But I kept seeing them from this lens of disappointment. Like I couldn't let go. So every little action was, see, they don't care. See, they uh, never put me first. Oh, I always have to do this. And so I I was just having a hard time taking them as they are and not nitpicking on every action through this lens. And that's been really difficult because I want to be loving towards this person. And I just am not able to. Oh, I love that you spoke to that because that happens for so many of us. We're like, she's inconsiderate. I think she's inconsiderate. And then anything she doesn't like seeing, you suddenly spot all the evidence of those things. It's kind of like, and there's a name for it. It escapes me now, but there's a term for it. But it's like when you buy a certain car and now you see the car everywhere. It's kind of along those lines of, I sense this thing. So now I can't help but to see it in everything that she does. That is really tricky. It's like a psychological thing to try to unsee it. But when it comes to expectations, you have a friend, you know, it actually begins before you enter into friendships. A lot of us are trying to figure it out while we're in the midst of a friendship. And sometimes we compromise our boundaries or we make certain you know, concessions because we're emotionally attached and it's messy and we're in it. But a lot of the work begins beforehand. So determining beforehand in a quiet space, what do I totally need? What, what do I absolutely need? So that by the time you get into those relationships, you're more likely to adhere to them because you made them away from that emotional attachment. You made it for yourself and you can honor the integrity that you had for it, the things that you will tolerate and the things that you will not. And so for you, it's really important that a person communicate in a certain way or that you know they honor your time or whatever it is. And it's just your thing. You have to make it known once you get into the friendship. You have to give them some time to allow them to apply it. Think about in a romantic relationship relationship. We mess up. The person says that's not cool. And then you might do it like two or three more times because it's just a bad habit. Can we show grace in that way? But if at the end of the day, they continue to make this offense or not meet your need, then maybe it's something you can't maintain. The biggest note that I have there is try your best not to vilify the person. A lot of times we'll be like, God, I told her to stop and she keeps doing it. So she's done or she's so this, she's so that. At the end of the day, it's really about she is not able to fulfill the needs that you have. So unfortunately, you all are not compatible and it's time to move on. So making it more about, oh, I guess this friendship dynamic is not gonna work because I need this, you can't give that, you're not a bad person, but I need to go somewhere where I can get this need met. That's really what it's about. And if we can keep that perspective, you're less likely to take you know, bitterness and resentment into your future friendships because you're able to separate and depersonalize. Okay, she wasn't meeting my needs. This is something I really think is important. So this is just not going to work. As long as you've articulated it and given her a chance to self-correct, then you know sometimes you have to move on. Research tells us that half of our friendships end every seven years. And so to some extent, there's a natural friendship pruning that takes place in these cycles, you know, I'm not saying cut everybody off, but at the same time, if you've done what you can and something's just not working, it's just not working. And so it was seasonal. Hopefully it offered you something in a time that you needed that companionship and you can move forward in a healthy way. Yeah, that's actually something that I took with me after I listened to you the last time. And 
about how like I see friendships ending as a moral failure and what is wrong mm. with me. It was so freeing to hear you talk about how it is not this doesn't mean we're terrible, but then also I do have a pattern. And what if I am? What if mm. it is me? That's what I'm kind of dealing with right now, because you can't just keep blaming someone. My therapist told me if th if this person is crazy, quote unquote, and they're using you, then you're using them for something. And you have mm. to figure out what you're getting from these people and fulfill that inside yourself. My big pattern that I've had since like eighth grade, I would say, is I become super, super close with someone like you're the, my only friend that ever matters. And then something happens. I, I put them on a pedestal. And I think they're the best. And I put myself second. And it's usually narcissistic types. And so I'm very much willing to be, oh, I'm so special. They love me, even though they're nuts, but I get them. And so I become super close with a girl. We have like a two, three-year friendship. And then I see them different. Something happens. Or I stand up for myself. The vibe of like them being on this pedestal, it drops. Something happens. I don't see them extra special. They bother me. And then it's over. That's been a pattern now for 20 years for me. And it is me, obviously. But also, I do think I attract or look for a fucked up person to be my leader. So to me, I'm just having a hard time between what if it's you? What if I'm the toxic person? What if I'm engaging in these toxic behaviors? I'm putting up standards on my friends that are unrealistic, cutting them out without time. What happens if I'm the problem? type of thing. <laughs> God, I, that is one of my favorite things, actually, like when I'm in a coaching session and, and a woman brings to the table, okay, is it me? Can we talk about maybe it's my fault? And I'm just like, okay, like the self-reflection, because most of the narrative is, let me tell you about how all my friends suck and they fall short and it's everybody else. And so it's refreshing sometimes to hear someone say, is it me? I know I have this pattern. Is that toxic? And I, you know, the whole toxic thing I could go on a rant about, but I will well, say- Well, yeah, toxic, narcissist, sociopath, they're being used a lot right now. And I will say that maybe some of us have have been at some point, you know, we yell or we manipulated somebody or we guilted them or we, you know, we've all maybe been toxic in a moment or from somebody else's perspective, they're walking away and their narrative of our friendship was that we were toxic. It's worth asking sometimes, gosh, is it me? How did I contribute to that? So that we can make sure that we're being a, a healthy, supportive friend. And I think the fact that you're able to articulate that dynamic, man, I tend to, you know, be attracted to this type of girl is so powerful that you can see that and hopefully know that moving forward and catch yourself. And it's just really cool to hear that you can self-assess in that way because uh, a lot of people don't and they're jumping from one friendship to the next. And the narrative is always like, women are so this or all my friends have always done this offense. No, I'm so always in a fight. And my friend told me, she goes, it's embarrassing that you fight with people you're not fucking. She goes, friendships <laughs> should not be this dramatic. She's like, you're always in a fight with a friend. And I'm like, sick of it. I'm so yeah, sick no, of that's it. interesting. And the pedestal thing is very interesting. And one thing that might help is sometimes us remembering what are the things that our friends are tolerating about us. If you think about there's a friend who you're always like, gosh, I love her, but she does this thing and it's so annoying. If you tell yourself she's probably doing that about you too, that she loves you to death, but there's that one thing that she's telling people like, that is so annoying. I think maybe bringing that perspective to the table of somebody could be putting you in a pedestal, but what would be the thing that would humble things real quick? What's the thing that you do that's just really not okay or that another person might find relatively obnoxious, whether it's you being late or talking too much or you interrupt when they're trying to talk or chewing too loud or not being able to say the right things. Like you're hard when you respond, but they need you to be softer. And it's kind of annoying that you can't be softer when you you know try to build them up emotionally 
emotionally or when they vent to you. So you have that thing that other people cannot stand either. And I think that when we could bring that to the table, it might allow us to have more grace for other people because we're like, okay, I, I guess I have a thing. It's harder to be harsh when you recognize your issues as well. But what if honesty is interpreted as harsh? I definitely had one friendship where I would, I felt like I was communicating truly how I felt. And I would, the response I got was, I don't need your tough love. Stop with the tough mm. love. And to me, I was like, but this is how I, this is reality to me. So, and to add on that, tone policing, I've been the person that yells and I've also been the person that says, please stop yelling at me. How fair is it to be like, I'm not going to talk to you unless you lower your voice. I do not want to be yelled at. This isn't the vibe I want. But is that unfair to like put higher how someone says something versus what is being said? Because I've also been the person that is like, no, 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 go fuck yourself. You've done this thing. And someone else is like, please stop yelling. And I'm like, no, I'm mad. I'm going to yell. I don't know. I've been on both sides. What are what is tone policing? Is it okay to yell? Is it okay to request not to be yelled at or the tough love in terms of communicating? Yeah, I got it. I love that. You know, a lot of it is cultural at the end of the day where you'll say, in my family, this is what we do. It's acceptable. You guys fuss and no one's saying, hold on, hold on. Can you tone it down? It's how you speak. Or even, you know, there's research that shows, you know, some people, depending on your region, they tend to speak really fast and interrupt a lot. Whereas somebody from another region, that's super rude that you do that. And you're like, what are you talking about? And you're just talking together, interrupting each other. And it's like a rhythm. And so a lot of those things are regional, are cultural. We were raised that way. And so at the end of the day, does it come down to, again, a choice and how much we're willing to bend for a friend? If somebody's telling you, I interpret that as you yelling. And my my thing would be if you're able to accommodate it why not if you're able to accommodate it without a, a compromise or sacrifice to yourself so if somebody's telling me danielle you're hollering now and i can't have you yell at me right now i'm going to shut down am i able to lower my voice without compromising what i'm trying to say or watering down who i am is this request that she's making a matter of my humanity do i have to change myself or my character in order to show up or is it a pride thing where I'm like, you're not going to tell me not to yell. You're not going to tell me how to talk. I'm gonna, You know what I mean? So we have to, which is hard because you're, you're really, you know, asking yourself these black and white questions. Is this an issue of pride or am I able to accommodate this person's request in a way that does not require me to compromise myself or dilute who I am? And if the answer is yes, you can do it, then it might be a matter of pride or ego. And so the yelling, yeah, is tends to escalate things. But I do know there are some friendships where that's, what they do, they speak really loudly to an outsider. It looks like yelling. But if you have one person in the party who's like, hey, every time you do this, I shut down. And it's getting in the way of what the ultimate objective should be. If the ultimate objective of that conversation or disagreement is we're trying to reconcile and find common ground, I'm trying to understand you better and I'm trying to resolve this, then I should. I might be willing to not yell because I'm trying to get to an objective. If the goal is I'm going to show you all the ways in which you're wrong and messed up and I'm going to overpower you right now to win, that's a completely different objective. So I'm going to operate in a different way. And so sometimes the way that we operate is very telling of what our real objective is. And on the other side, if it's not yelling, I get annoyed when people cry because to me, it's you are you're automatically now I have to disarm and take care of you because you are crying. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. one of the last conversations I had up top, I set up a boundary and I said, you know, you tend to cry and it shuts me down because suddenly I have to take care of you. So I'm just saying, like, if you cry, that is fine, but I'm not going to stop what I have to say. And that was really tough. But then, I, yeah, I just hate when people cry in a conversation because 
it changes the dynamic. I don't know. how. Do you have an opinion yeah. on that? Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, some people are criers, some are not. Some don't like the crime because it either makes them uncomfortable or they don't know how to respond. Or to your point, it puts you in a different role now. So you're really not supposed, I shouldn't say supposed to. One of the things when we talk about apologizing in friendships, we tend to say that one of the things you should avoid when you're apologizing, if you can, is crying. Because it's weaponized to a certain extent, whether you know it or not. So if I offended you and then I cry while I'm apologizing, you're now feeling obligated to console me. And that's not fair when I've been the offender to also request reassurance from you and request that you console me. It feels strange and it takes the power away from the person who's been offended. And so I totally get where you're coming from, especially if a person's apologizing to cry sometimes shifts the dynamic. And I should be able to be in the role of, hey, you try to understand me and apologize right now, not have me console you and say, okay, it's not that bad. It's fine. I don't want to overreact. You're okay. And that's not how it should end. And so I totally get where you're coming from. I also know that, again, a lot of that stuff is cultural too of, okay, crying makes me feel uncomfortable. So I can't continue the conversation because I'm so uncomfortable. I don't know how to respond to right now and others that's just how they maybe they don't have the words for it and their frustration just leaks out their eyes you know and they're not trying to be manipulative with their tears they really just emotionally express you know their fear or anxiety or frustration with tears and so that's why the ultimate goal when we're disagreeing should be can i try to understand you I'm trying to understand you. I don't get it right now, but let me try to adopt your perspective. And I think the people who are able to do that together will have a more long lasting friendship. If I'm trying to get why you cry, I don't like it, but I, I have an understanding of where you're coming from. Um, I think sets us up for more long lasting friendships too. So as a white person, um, I feel worlds, you have unchecked biases always. There's like, you can, you can do all you want, but you're gonna fuck up and you're going to say the wrong thing and you're going to be racist. And I am lucky that I have, they don't have to do this, but I have a black friends that check me are able to be like, that's actually fucked up that you're saying that or why are you saying that? Um, in terms of like how exhausting it is, how is it unfair or fair? And how challenging is it to be friends with white people where you can be, the, you might be disappointed or you might all of a sudden be like, I'm sure 2020, there were people in your life that are like, wait, you think that? Fuck, I didn't know that. And just kind of how to navigate um, like uh, a black and white friendship when your friend is ignorant. Yeah, so I have a podcast it's called The Friend Forward Podcast. And one of the episodes we did was about maintaining interracial friendships. And I had women leave voice notes and tell me like, what is your perspective? And it was really fiery because you had black women who, who left notes about their experience and white women who left their experience. And it was just so powerful to hear them kind of talk to each other. And um, as a black woman, I can't help but to navigate this world through a brown body. And so I see and experience things in a different way. So even some of your questions I'm hearing through a black lens, for example, you asked me, you know, what do you do when your friend starts crying? The first thing I thought is when I've had white friends who you call out for something, then they start crying. And it's like, but I'm showing you the harm that was done through what you said. So when you cry to have me, the uh, the person offended, have to console you doesn't make any sense. You know, and so that's been a situation that I'm sure people of color have experienced when you're trying to compassionately tell a friend, hey, that's not cool because it's, you know, going to be received this way. And then they go into, oh, my God, what do you think? I'm racist. Oh, my God. And And I'll say this to try my best to simplify something that is complex is... If you take race out of it, which you can't because it's everywhere, 
if you take race out of it in the friendship, if a friend told you anything, made them uncomfortable or was problematic, your job is to listen (laughs) and to adapt and be like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize self-reflect. That's your job. You know, white fragility just runs so deep that that's one of the topics that if we do mention, hey, that was not cool what you said because it means this thing. So can you not keep saying that? Then it's, well, oh my gosh, you can't take a joke or oh my gosh, I didn't mean it like that. Are you serious? You're getting so sensitive. But if a friend told you, hey, this thing has these consequences, it rubs me this way, it perpetuates these problematic ideas for anything else, we'd be like, oh my gosh, good point. I didn't realize my bad. Thank you so much. And so it's so funny to see kind of how race is like the thing that we're like, well, you know, and so I always say like, can you take race out of it? If a friend came to you with a concern, would you respond to it with such defensiveness or would you listen and be like, oh my gosh, as my friend, I don't want you to feel that way. Say no more. That won't happen again. Or, hey, help me out. I don't understand. I know you shouldn't be my educator, but help me out. How is that problematic? And you have a discussion. Um, So you see a lot of pride and white fragility in a lot of uh, friendships uh, that are interracial friendships. I've even seen research that's been done on can white women and black women be friends? Now, I have white friends, so I I know it to be possible. But at the same time, we've had to do a lot of work together, the ones who were really close, because I can't help but to uh, show up as a Black woman. I can't put that on the back burner to make you comfortable when we get together. And if one of the defining markers of friendship is being able to show up as your full self, a part of my full self is being Black. So, you know, I guess one or two summers ago, when we saw a string of Black men (laughs) being uh, murdered, I can't not talk about that because it might make you uncomfortable. I have a black husband, black son, black father. So I'm seeing death everywhere. And the news is playing these clips without any kind of trigger warning. So I'm seeing men get choked out and shot up, you know, on a whim. I can't not talk about that because I don't want to make you uncomfortable. It sounds so twisted, you know? And so if I have a friend who's like, can we not talk about that? Or "Mm, yeah, okay, can we move on? Or well, maybe they should have just complied. It's, It's hard to to be that person's friend because they don't see my humanity. And so at the end of the day, if I feel like I have to put a part of myself on pause to show up as this person's friend in any context, we're, we're not going to survive the friendship or it's going to be a superficial friendship because you've demonstrated I can't show up as my full self here. And so, you know, can black women and white women be friends? Yes, we see it every day. But I think how they navigate racial issues is very telling. A set of a bunch of white people texting and calling you as the protests and uh, George much in the news. I know a lot of my friends are like, why is this white girl I worked with 12 years ago texting me right now? Um, Kind of telling on what your friendship stands with these people when suddenly people were messaging you wanting something. Yeah, it was I think it was laughable to all of us was like, oh, that's cool. Um, the gesture, I think it's supposed to be seen as like, wow, they're checking up on me. That's so nice. But a lot of it was to absolve your own guilt. Like it made you feel better to say I checked on a black person today. Like if we're being totally real, because I don't speak to you regularly, we don't talk, but it made you feel good to say I need to to, to chat with a, a black friend. Um, I had people on Instagram tagging me and things are like, um, people you should follow. One of them is my friend, Danielle. I'm like, we are not friends. So like even that language, so, so I'm supposed to be grateful but at the same time, I'm like, but but if we're being real, you and I don't speak. I think you're pleasant enough, but we don't speak. So it felt, you know, inauthentic because we don't talk. And so there was a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, people of color saw through because we're like, we don't speak. I know that you're doing this for you. It gives you cool points to say Black Lives Matter because it makes you look aware. It makes you look down or to quote a bunch of rap lyrics, whatever. OK, cool. But it makes you 
look cool. So even those t-shirts sometimes I see, and I've, I've bought them. I'm not even going to lie. I've, I've worn a couple, but the kind that are like country music and gangster rap or like, you know, like look at how balanced I am. It's like your, your proximity to blackness gives you cool points. And so hopefully in interracial friendships, you're never using your friendships in that way to be like, look at how open-minded I am. Look at my friend group, you know, because in that case, you don't see me as a person, but being my friend helps make you achieve the perception that you're looking for. Like you look cool or down or open, you know, or when people are like, I need a gay friend, I need more gay friends because it makes you look cool or down or open, but not because you really like this person. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that stuff is at play. And I know some white people, their reality is like, I don't even want to be in a position where I feel uncomfortable, where I have to measure what I say. And I think that shows something else. If you can't be yourself around a black person because you're scared, you might say something crazy. It makes me like, well, how often are you saying something crazy, you know, that you've got to filter like that. And so, you know, ethnically diverse friendships, there's so much good stuff that can come of that and so many conversations and cool experiences. Um, but I think at the end of the day, ask yourself, what's your goal in diversifying your friend group? And then if you have a, a, a friend from a different background, culture, whatever, are they constantly the token? Are you constantly asking them about their experience or can they just be a person with you? With you know the fact that they are seeing the world through this lens, but can they just be a person or do you see them as like a, a token, which you know would not be okay? No, I, that's a pet peeve of mine where it's like, I'm trying to make more. And so do you want to hang out? And it's like, I'm not your goal person. Like, right. I don't <laughs> off the goals that you're trying to find somebody. Um, I did see on, yeah, you're a sex in the city person. Are you an insecure person as well? Um, um, insecure the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, yeah. <laughs> not just in I'm like, very much so. No, um, yes. Oh, that was, HBO that friendship. show is my jam. Yes. I thought Insecure did the best job of any show I've seen in true friendship dynamics and relationships. And just the way they spoke was like, it just felt so real. Um, I loved, I think it was three, maybe two, they went to Palm Springs as a friend group, but Molly and Issa were fighting, but they still went on this trip together. I was Mm -hmm. like, ugh, this energy is like so real. And I just loved it. Um, Sex and the City are campy and wild, but... um, or if you want to touch on Sex and the City and Insecure or any other shows you think about female friendship that are great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I love Insecure, hands down, like one of my favorite shows for so many reasons, but specifically because I, I, we need more depictions of the complexities of female friendship, the nuance. There's one scene specifically, it may have been season four, but where Molly and Issa are walking in the grocery store, getting stuff for Thanksgiving. And they have this moment where they're like, trying to get on the same page was like kind of awkward and and they say out loud we're kind of off right and she's like yeah okay and they keep walking and it gave me goosebumps because i mean that feels so taboo to say out loud to a friend we're kind of in a weird spot right it feels so damning you know to say that to a friend because it's hard for us to recover we want to feel like we're just in sync and it's just so natural so as soon as you announce like this is weird or we're off it's like oh we don't have the chemistry i thought i guess she's not my best friend because it shouldn't be awkward you know it should be easy it should be natural um, which i want to pause and say research tells us that um there was this study they did where they asked a bunch of women do you believe that making friends and friendships should be easy or that you should have to work at it. And when they followed these women five years later, the ones who said it should be easy 
were reporting greater feelings of loneliness than the women who said, I expect you have to work at it. So even to see a show where they're showing them work and they want to get back into their flow and they're going to try, you know, really hard to get back, you never see. It's either we're best friends and we're braiding each other's hair or we're fighting each other like cats and dogs. When do you see nuance? And so I, I love that the show explored that. Sex in the City, I love, um, I'm seeing a lot of stuff now about how Carrie's actually a bad friend with like all these examples over the years. I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't realize. Um, and in this reboot, I have a lot of issues with the reboot. However, <laughs> I kind of love what they're doing with the the narrative of, of Samantha not being there. She would do that i just feel like samantha was the bestest friend in the old school show yes and i just can't imagine her cutting carrie out they had to write something but i was gonna ask do you feel like samantha would do that I feel like she would totally not do that. However, I love seeing their little things of like, you know, they're not talking, but then she sends flowers for Big's funeral and they text I cried. and they're like, I miss you. I mean, those I, fl- I, I couldn't. Yeah, ugh, gorgeous, right? I mean, come on. She's so classy. You know, and even that and the girls talking about it, like missing Samantha and it's so weird. It's not the four of them. But the reality is, you know, we go back to the, the research I mentioned earlier about friendships, you know, fading and ending after seven years. I mean, if we look through that lens, like, yeah, really, their friend group before, according to research statistically, would not remain a friendship before for that long. And so it's realistic. I mean, as viewers, yes, we miss her. But, you know, in reality, like, yeah, that's what it is. And it's it's hard. You know, we want to watch the show to escape reality. But, you know, that's actually what it is. And that's how it works out. And so I love seeing female friendship portrayed in the media the right way. Um, doll face, which I can't believe I like because it's I saw so silly. <laughs> yeah. But, oh my gosh, it's so good. And they talk about girl code and unspoken things you're supposed to do in a friend group. And it's just, it's brilliant. Um, and so all these little shows that that depict female friendship, I'm such a fan and they're, it's kind of having a moment right now. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then do you, are you a reality TV person? I am. Okay, great. Um, I am as well. These are like kind of like tropes okay i guess when people are fighting on reality tv it's always like this isn't high school you're acting like you're high school it's high school is life high school you you taught english for six years in a high school you saw the way um girls interacted with each other you are now a grown person with grown friendships worked in pr are we in high school is high school forever do we grow what is that some people are still stuck in high school. And it's so funny because we're like, if you're doing these behaviors, you know, that was reserved for when you were younger, but not if you haven't overcome uh, what a lot of those issues stem from. So if you're insecure, then yeah, you're going to be upset that your friend has another friend and you don't want her to hang out with that friend. And it sounds superficial on the surface, but if you're not confident in yourself, then yes, you are still threatened by your friend making other friends. Um, or, you know, if you're insecure about the friendship, you are talking crap about the friend behind somebody's back. So if those things have not been developed within you, you know, the character traits that we feel like should have been you know, developed and manifested by now, then yes, you are still going to be operating at that level because you still haven't gotten secure in yourself. You still haven't adopted a more mature idea of what friendship should offer. Maybe you still think friendship is just like hanging out and having somebody to sit with at lunch and go to brunch with, but it requires some hard things and hard conversations, you know, so hard conversation with a friend looks like you talking crap about her to other people because you can't bring yourself to have the courage to say it respectfully to her. And so, yeah, you know, for some people, they're stuck there. And until those things develop within them, they'll remain there. 
Damn. Yeah. And we touched on this, but the other kind of reality show thing is always like, say it to my face, say it to my face. (laughs) And I'm always like, why are you mad? We all talk shit. Like you can't hold each other to standards that you're not like, you're all talking about each other. So that's always embarrassing. And then the other trope I always see is like, she's, I'm a girl's girl. You're not, you're a guy's girl. What, what is that? Girls, girl, guys, girl. And can you be, this might be a separate question, but like, um, how do you feel about male-female friendship? Um, I know everyone always says it's not possible. Someone's always wanting to fuck somebody. It's not real. But in my line of work, I'm just kind of surrounded by men. And I've been friends with certain men for over a decade. And I do find I, I not I prefer my girlfriends, but um, I, I do like my male friends. And they do end up getting married to people. And I continue friendships. But in the quote-unquote real world, regular world, outside of comedy... Uh, I think there are people that are like, you shouldn't be friends with that girl at work. What do you mean you have a female friend? So, yeah, what I guess it's two things. Guys, girl, girls, girl. And then like your thoughts on mixed gender friendships. Yeah. OK. So being proud of being a guy's girl. So if you have a, a male friend, which the only reason I can say is totally possible because I have male friends, so I can only speak from my experience. I'm like, well, they've got to be possible because I have it. You know, um, your husband having- never like who's. No, he's right. always been like, oh, oh, that's Josh texting you. Tell him I said, what's up? You know, um, and so, you know, and every relationship's different too. Um, so having mixed gender friendships, totally possible, totally a thing. I think the issue becomes women sometimes, I think, who are proud of being a guy's girl. I think that reveals something else. So if you're proud that you have been chosen, that men think you're cool, there's something there. And so maybe you have a male friend and that's great for you. But if you wear it as a badge of honor that men chose you and that men think you're different than other girls, how is that a compliment? Because fundamentally that's implying that there's something problematic with women. So to think like, oh, they they know they're different. I'm not like other girls. Well, what does that mean? What are other girls like that you're special and different because you're not that thing? I think that reveals that you subscribe to certain, you know, stereotypes about women and you're trying to separate yourself by saying you're not that. You're different because you're in closer proximity to being a man and to being liked and understood by men. And so there's kind of an issue with with that. And then being a, a, a girl's girl or, or female friends, you know, I have women who will say to me, like, I don't have female friends for these reasons. I think a lot of it is internalized misogyny. Some women do tell me, hey, I've genuinely been traumatized by women growing up. And I get that. Um, I, just, I just think we need to understand that being betrayed or disappointed is not exclusive to women. So if a woman let you down once in your life, right, okay, men are just as capable <laughs> of telling you they're going to do something and then they don't or saying something negative when you're not not around. And so it's not exclusive to women, but somehow that that narrative got written. And then the last thing I'll say about, you know, women and, and who don't like female friends and things like that, I wonder how much of it, you know, and I'm not a psychologist, so I'm going to stay in my lane, but I do wonder how much of it is because we see ourselves in other women. I'm a woman. So when I get in a room full of women, I I, I reflect on myself, you know, and, and and so a lot of stuff is is stirred up when you're around other women. And so how does that make you feel? I think that's something worth exploring. But if you're like, I can't stand women and they're so catty, they're so this, I just, you know, what does it stir up when you're with other women? Do you feel inadequate in a certain way? Or, you know, so I'm, I'm always curious about that, um, but I can't help but to think about myself in the company of other women because I am a woman. So even like sociologically, it's it's going to stir stuff up for me because I'm seeing projections of 
of either what I want to be, what I don't want to be. Um, so I think there's a lot to, at play there. Um, yeah. This is a personal one for me. Um, can you be friends with someone who is not happy when good things happen to you? Because that was the I'm biggest gonna, crux yeah. of this big friendship throughout our years together. When I have good news, I would be like, oh, she might be up. I can't tell her. And that that was one of the big issues for me where I'm like, I did tell her something great. I got a job opportunity. And the way this person reacted, I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. And whatever it was inside of me that felt like it was okay to deal with, I don't have that anymore. I've learned to love myself, whatever it is. Um, and especially in a business that is competitive and a lot of my friends are in the industry, it's it just is so sad and it makes me cry, honestly, when I good things happen and the people that I, f I thought I was closest to are not happy and become competitive or want something from it. And in the long run, is that a friendship ender or not? Can can you be friends with people that aren't happy for you? This is going to sound really nerdy, but, you know, um, Plato wrote a lot about <laughs> friendships and things like that and said that there are three different types of friendships. And the ultimate one is friendships of virtue. And he says that they're rarer to come by. And one of the elements of a friendship of virtue is I am so happy for you. Um, when before you, I want you to win as a person. I want to see you achieve and excel. And not everyone can can feel that or express that or share that um, for another person. And it means even if we are not friends anymore or you go off and make other friends that replace me, I still want to see you win. I have that desire for you. And that is so special and so rare. But yes, that would be required of a friendship. I think it's interesting to hear you say that you found yourself feeling like you had to withhold um, things that you were celebrating, that's such a telltale sign right there that I feel like if I share this, it's going to do damage. Me sharing something positive that happened in my life is so twisted, you know, because that should not be the case. And so, yeah, it's hard to be friends with someone who we feel like will not share our wins. Ideally, we have friends who feel like our win was theirs. So you getting another gig that you've been really hoping for, they should feel like, oh my gosh, look at us. Like we made it. We are coming up. They should feel like your win is my win. I know recently I shared something big with a friend and I was surprised that she like started crying because she was like, I just, it's just been so long. Like you've been working for this for so long. Like this is so amazing. And it like touched me to see how moved she was that I had access to this, you know, new opportunity. And um, research also tells us that, you know, it might be more impactful in a friendship to have friends who celebrate your wins than friends who show up for your losses, that it might have more of an impact. Because if you are down in the dumps and a friend comes and they're like, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, it's almost like you're at a negative six and they move you to a negative five, but you're still like in the negative but it has more of an impact if you are at a five and a person comes and boosts you up and you move up even higher you're higher on that scale you see what i'm saying and so it shows that we have more of an impact on our friends lives you know yeah of course either when they're down but that we have a greater impact in the relationship if we're there when they're up and so you know think about that friend who if you got good news today this would be the one person you would tell what are the qualities of that person that make you so excited to tell that one person that's who we should all strive to be and think about that person who you would not tell why is that you know and so if you still want to kind of reserve your friendship to just hanging out and getting drinks and superficial stuff Great. But I would say, yeah, be aware of the situation where you feel like you have to withhold a celebration because it might do damage to the friendship. It, it should be having the opposite effect.
Damn. Yeah. I like that you're saying, you know, like you can have a chill friendship with someone. My big flaw is like I'm all or nothing. I'm obsessed or I hate you or you're an enemy. (laughs) And I've had to slowly learn like, oh, yeah, people can fulfill different roles and this could just be a coworker or whatever. And that's been really hard for me. I was such a all or nothing type of person. How do you define Mm -hmm. enemy? Is that in your wheelhouse of professionalism or... (laughs) Uh, not really, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. but, uh, I, I do being like a friend to me. I know that's like a hot buzzword, mm. a person who's like in your life and they, you go shopping together and send texts and memes, but you also feel like you couldn't share a win because she couldn't be thrilled that you were advancing, um, fulfill different roles. And this could just be a coworker or whatever. And that's been really hard for me. I was such a all or nothing type of person how do you define Mm -hmm. enemy is that in your wheelhouse of professionalism or uh not really (laughs) but uh i i do see that being like a friend to me i know that's like a hot buzzword Mm. a person who's like in your life and they you go shopping together and send texts and memes but you also feel like you couldn't share a win because she couldn't be thrilled that you were advancing um you know i could see that following along those lines which is you know you'd have to ask yourself is that something you want to maintain or is it something that you do have the ability everybody's different do you have the capacity to uh compartmentalize and say you know i wouldn't share it with her anyway she's just really a fun background person or an extra in my life to go and get drinks with in a group setting but i know i already know i i can't tell her that i you know secured this opportunity and if that's something you have the capacity for and you can separate great if you're like no that feels fake to me then that's very telling as well yeah i i think i have a not common story but my best friend and i we in in the pretty early in our friendship became enemies and did not speak for three years but would see each other, ignore each other, I see in a room. And then now we've been friends for over eight years post that three-year break. Um, if you can maybe speak on breaks, is that normal? Can someone rekindle? Because this big friendship that I just ended um, that didn't work out, we talked and it just, we weren't clicking. It has had, all our other friends are like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be friends again. Give it a few years. And I have experienced that and I see it, but in my head, I'm like, absolutely not. And so is it not like, how did we do that? (laughs) I don't know how we uh, were apart for three years and then came back together. But is that something that happens often? Totally. Uh, You know, boomerang friendships are a thing. And I think it's really interesting to see what transpired during the time away. Did you, are you able to go back to the friendship with fresh eyes? Like maybe you saw her a certain way, you leave, you have certain experiences in your life. And now you're like, oh, I kind of understand why she did this. Or man, I realized that maybe I was an issue in that friendship or I approached that the wrong way. And so sometimes the space that you have allows you to go back to it with fresh eyes. And I think it's a beautiful thing when you're able to be friends again without the complex or without, you know, holding them to something that they did 10 years ago and you can kind of let it go. If you are both coming back as 2.0 versions of yourselves and you both have a desire, a shared desire to be reciprocal friends again and to move forward, then why not? You know, it happens all the time where people are like, oh, we had a, we, we separated and then we came back. Sometimes it's a matter of logistical stuff. I've seen people who are, you know, they work in the same place. And so they're really, really close because they see each other every day and somebody moves. And then you're like, gosh, I, I thought we were friends, but just because I don't work there anymore, we're not going to be friends. And then they come back to town for whatever reason and you pick back up. And if it works for you two, then who are the rest of us to, to let you know whether it's normal? And in your experience working with friends, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, no, you're a psychopath and the other person should leave? (laughs) There is no growth. There's no room. You are a true sociopath. Like, have you had that? 
That's so funny. Okay, so I'm a coach and my job is to just like, I know it sounds very life coachy, but to like help you unpack certain things and you and like equip you and empower you to decide what it is you want to do. Um, So even when women say like, well, I'm just coming to you because I want some advice on this and they start the session like that, I'm kind of like, oof, okay. Because a lot of times they want me to validate a decision they've already made and they don't want to explore what's like the best path. They already know. And they want me to say, you're totally right. And those girls are the worst, you know? Um, But I have only had one session in three years um, where I thought there, there's hope for everyone. There, I think there's hope for everyone. But I, I did walk away thinking um, she has a lot of work before there's hope. And I don't mean to poke fun, but her expectations were the worst I've, I've ever seen. Um, and when I was trying to help unpack that, she did not want to hear it. And so I just, I, I didn't know how to support this person. She had expectations that, you know, the person would call every day. And if a friend did not call, she's showing that she's, you know, not a good friend or that she would be there at the drop of a hat in the middle of the night and trying to help her understand, like, has your friend given you other evidence that she's a great friend to you? Oh, yes, yes, she has. Okay, so the fact that she's not able to meet this very tight demand, does it have you questioning her loyalty? Well, yeah, you know, and so, you know, just understand that people have lives and they have different ways they show up for each other and, you know, and, 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 um, and it was really hard to kind of help that person have a loose grip on her friend. She held her very tightly and had very strict requirements. Otherwise, she was going to question her and let her know she was being a bad friend, quite literally. And um, and that one was hard because the person wasn't willing to do the work to try to figure out how can we make this a friendship that satisfies everyone? What are reasonable expectations to hold on another person? Um, so that one was kind of, it was kind of tricky. So one in three years is pretty good. Like, yeah, and I have multiple sessions a week, so that's that's not bad at all. Because you see, uh, you see hope in others. You know, I tweeted, um, not that many people responded, but I was like, hey, I'm meeting with like a friendship expert. Is there anything you'd like to know? The first three responses was, why is everyone mad at me? Why am I so weird? And what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> Immediately. Right, okay. What is your professional take on how we're all feeling about each other? And the Washington Post, art, you know, you were a part of that article. Um, a friend sent that to me because I had kind of a breakdown a few months ago. I thought everyone was mad at me. And I went to each of my friends' houses in tears being like, you hate me. And they're like, no one hates you. <laughs> like, this is on you. But yeah, do we all just hate? Like, what is this that the first three people all wrote what's wrong with me? That is so interesting. Um, we're, we're comparing our very private thoughts and experiences and our hypersensitivity to how we perform out in the world. We're comparing that to what we see, which it looks like people who are fluent in, in, in social interactions and having great friendships and they're showing stories of them going to brunch. And so when we compare those two things, me alone on the couch to them doing really cool things or me thinking, God, did I talk too much? Did I? And like overanalyzing every interaction I've had when that person's moved on and hasn't thought about it since you put those two things together. And of course it has me thinking that if there's anything where a person's distanced themselves from me or they're living life, I'm personalizing that. It must be about me. At the end of the day, you're still centering yourself in that story because I ask what evidence, again, do you have that this person hates you? Well, she hasn't like texted in a week, but last week she was texting every day and you're taking that as evidence 
that she hates you? Have you asked her? Well, no, I mean, I'm not going to ask her. She hates me. You know, and it goes back to what we said earlier about, you know, communicating and to even say like, hey, are we good? Because, you know, I, I know we were texting back and forth a lot last week and we haven't really checked in. We're good, right? And it doesn't have to be a formal sit down. Can we talk? You know, another thing is a lot of us, it's just a, a personal tendency that we have for ourselves is to wonder if someone's mad at us. And for a lot of people pleasers as well, this is going to be a top concern. Are you mad at me? Are you displeased with me? When nothing has transpired, but because of maybe things in your childhood and in certain relationships and experiences you've had, you were on high alert for someone being upset. You've been trained to think that someone must be upset for something you did or failed to do, which is something you probably need to reconcile because you know how do you show up in a healthy friendship if you're overly concerned with this person being pleased by you at all times? Yeah. And uh, something that sparked um, while you were talking was, let's say someone did me wrong and I really don't like them, but my friend is still friends with them. Do you have a right, mm. quote unquote, I know everything's like what works for you or not, but is it fair to be like, you can't be friends with that person? No, right? <laughs> I Because I, I see that a lot in Housewives uh, world and bravo oh my god that's like such a theme yeah. and that show is like she's not a real friend if you're going to go to her dinner party you know and it's like a whole thing um again i know it's like whatever really feels right to you but you know if your friend knows hey this person had this transgression against me and i can't tolerate her respect her whatever and your friend is saying hey i can separate i i equally believe that she um, did you dirty? And I believe that that was not okay. I share that idea, but we have our own relationship. And even though I see that offense she committed to you and I have a separate relationship with her that has not been tainted in that way, you know, she has to choose. You have to choose if it's something you can tolerate them still being friends or if it's going to be something where you see your friend through a new lens and you see it through disloyalty because your expectation is that she would cut her off because you cut her off. You know, so it, it is something that depends on every friendship as long as you made it clear like, hey, I can't stand her. I don't want to hear about her. And I feel some kind of way about you being friends with her, like to even be transparent with that. But I feel like it gets tricky as soon as we make our friends choose. It gets tricky as soon as we say, it's her or me, because one of the things that we need in a friendship is autonomy. I need to feel like I can be your friend, but I can still be me and do my own thing. I can't feel restricted here. So even though, you know, I might agree with your reasoning, as soon as I feel like you have removed my sense of agency and autonomy and you're telling me what I can and cannot do, you know, you've introduced something, you know, pretty tricky. And so both parties have to figure out if that's something you want to do. And so like, yeah, ideally she'd be like, yes, I agree. This person's awful. So you say the word and I will cut her, you know, like that's ideal. But when it doesn't happen, just be careful about doing anything that removes your friend's sense of independence by telling her who she can and cannot, you know, spend time with. Yeah. Cause I don't like when people go, well, they haven't done that to me. And it's like, okay, yeah. but they suck. Do you have any yeah. favorite or not favorite housewives? Like some that you're like, that's a true lunatic. Oh, I, I love this one. Or any season. It's You know, it's always hard because I always look at like the production part in the background. I'll be like, okay, I know they edited that. I get it. That was very entertaining. But come on, you know, um, episode, but um, Garce, what's her name? Garcelle, Garcelle? yeah. She was like classy, like, yes. And for the most part, but every time I find myself liking someone, they do some, they do some crap on the next episode. And you're like, oh my God, like you were above the muck. And then here you go, like 
throwing drinks. Like you were the classy one, you know? And so I've had my favorites, um, but I feel a little bit of anxiety to watch the show because of how many times they use the word friend. And it's so unhealthy. Like, oh yeah, she's my friend. But just like the episode before, she said horrible things to you about your body, about your husband. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what? That's so toxic. Or they'll be like, yeah, you know, you're not my friend because you did this. And I'm like, what? That's so crazy. So it's very hard for me to watch the show, even when I want to turn my brain off, because it's very upsetting to see how loyalties change for the smallest uh, things is, is um, gives me anxiety. Well, yeah, it seems like they shift for small things. And then you have Erica, who's a full criminal, Jen Shaw, who's a full criminal, <laughs> defrauding people. And oh, these people are still... I mean, like you said, it's production, like they have to film together, but I'm so shocked by the forgiveness and grace that they're showing these horrific criminals. Um, if your friend commits a crime or, you know, especially in the in the comedy world, yeah, your friend's kind of a rapist or a date rapist or he's going for 17 year olds. But that's my friend of 25 years. Um, how this might be too heavy, uh, but how do you navigate when your friend has done something really wrong? Yeah, I actually recently read research on this, but until I get like all the numbers, I'm not going to quote it too much. But it was talking about how we do see things like objectively as like a crazy, unforgivable offense. But when our friend or family does it, we see it as a lesser offense because it's a person we love. We know we see the gray area in that thing now. And so, you know, that doesn't come as much of a surprise, but, you know, recent studies just kind of revealed that that's kind of how our friendships shift, how we see certain offenses. Um, but it simultaneously revealed that that we see ourselves in a lesser light to have friends who do offenses that we're like, that's not okay. We start to put it on ourselves and feel badly about ourselves for being friends with the person who did the thing. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting, like new research. And so again, I mean, when we say thick or thin, you know, you determine how thick is too thick and you're like, this is just too murky for me and I can't befriend you. If it was a one-off isolated incident or if this is a, a true reflection of a person's character in an ongoing way, you know, we all get to make those choices. So that's the beautiful thing is that I can't get the answer because we all get to make the choice of what your capacity is and what that boundary is of like, oh, this was a crime. That's wrong. So I can't be your friend or that's a crime. But I mean, I get it. You did what you feel like you had to do, you know? And so we get to make those decisions. And that's the tricky and beautiful thing about friendship is that it's so voluntary. So unlike other relationships or familial relationships, you'll always be my family member or professional relationship. You know, it's transactional because it's business. You know, friendship, we can come in and flow out of so easily and fluidly um even a romantic relationship like even if we get married you know i can opt out but at least there's like a certain protocol that has to happen like we have divorce papers or we you know if we're dating and we don't know if we're going to be exclusive we have a conversation about what this is but with friendship we don't we're not like okay what is this what are we doing and when it's over a lot of us aren't like okay so i feel like we should talk this isn't working for me we're in and out and it's so fluid and you know there's a lot of positive negatives that come with that so a part of that is you know if somebody commits a big offense that you think is morally wrong yes you get to say whether that's something where you exit the friendship or if you're going to remain anyway and be a ride or die you know you get to you get to have that choice and a lot of times the longer we've known somebody the more sometimes we tolerate because we hold their character and history up against this thing. And we're like, I have so much context of who this person is that this offense is minor or we can withstand it because I know this person and others maybe do not want to align themselves and that's their choice. Again, this is like my big thing. And I know RuPaul always says what other people think about you is none of your business. If they don't pay your bills, pay them no mind. Like I try to focus on that. But 
I'm scared or affected that I might have this reputation of like, people are disposable to me or because Mm. I've had these close two, three year friendships. And then it's like, we're not anymore. It does reflect poorly on me. I can't really deny that. And I'm not guilt free in all of this. And that might be too heavy to ask, like, how do I free myself of it? And I know you say like an ending of a friendship is not a moral failure, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I have not that I've had so much turnover. Yeah, I think the question becomes because, you know, a one year long friendship is just as valid as one 20 years long. Because I know sometimes there's shame around, gosh, well, all these other women have been friends for so long. Why don't I have that? What's wrong with me? And it goes to what you said earlier. If there's a pattern where I'm cutting people off because I'm trying to protect myself or because um, I am a little critical. So I have no tolerance for having flaws, you know, so that's one thing. Um, But if I fell into a new friendship and other people have sustained one for like 20 years, mine is not any less valid you know, than theirs, um, cutting things off. My question to you, you know, let's, let's have a coaching session right now. Let's do it. (laughs) My question to you would be, you know, one, would you say that you have a deep satisfaction and platonic intimacy in your current friendships? Like, like I can say anything freely. I can be myself. This person can share with me and I don't find myself judging them morally. You know, I feel like I can share these these hard things. I feel like I can reveal, try new things. Do you have this platonic intimacy and comfort? Because if not, my question would be, is it because we are not giving anybody the the bandwidth or the stretch to explore that? They have an offense and I'm over it. Or you gave me the ick, I'm over it. You were being weird, I'm over it. And so what is the 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 elasticity in a friendship, how how often do I allow them to have ugly parts and I'm still there? Or how often do I have a gripe with somebody and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up because I want us to work through it so we can be better. You know, how often am I doing that? Because I would wonder if the people who are doing that and exercising those um are experiencing real intimacy in their friendship. And those who aren't and who are cutting people off at the sign of any whatever, how they might not know what that intimacy feels like because there's no elasticity. That is a personal thing. But what about if it's not something they've done to you? It's not a friendship thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like the crime thing. Do you like they did something and you just don't see them the same way? Is that a discussion? Can you tell someone like, actually, I think you're a self-centered piece of shit. Like you wouldn't say that because it has nothing to do with me. Like I actually didn't really like the way during the pandemic you acted and I look at you different. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, um, you know, when women sign up for coaching with me, there's a little forum, they say why they're coming to me and, um, I will start to see trends, which is crazy. And that's one of the things I love about coaching, but I'll start to see these trends emerge. And during the pandemic, maybe last summer, I saw a bunch of women come in because they were saying, I don't see my friend the same way. And it was because a lot of different values were exposed during that time. So the issue of masking and not and vaccine and not, and who you vote for, and not, and uh, where you stand on Black Lives Matter, even though that should not be like a debate because p- Black people's lives quite literally matter, but like where you stand on this and the things that you're posting online, women were starting to see their friends differently. And so they were asking me to coach them through. I think I'm ready to let this go because I can't even look at her the same way anymore. I can't go backwards. And so, yeah, I hear what you're saying about, well, what if a person's not doing a personal offense to me, but I see them with new eyes. At the end of the day, you have to be able to respect the person you're friends with. 
Okay. What what your criteria is for that, I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be hard to be friends with somebody who you're like, I can't respect you because neither one of us would want anybody to be friends with us. And we're like, I don't respect Danielle, but whatever, we're friends. Please don't be my friend. Like, how are we friends? And so if at the end of the day, there's some criteria that you have where you're like, I, I can't respect this person, then say no more. Now, maybe we need to look at the criteria. I don't know how much or how little it takes for you to write someone off. You know, I don't know what kind of observations you're making where you're like, and you're done. You know, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that's worth exploring. Um, But yeah, it happens sometimes where you see different values emerge and you realize I can't befriend this person because I don't hold any respect for them. And that's almost fundamental. This is an amazing. I do have something I would like to bring up that I forgot about. So one of my, I moved to America from the Soviet Union and one of my first best friends, I don't know if she's like, can you be repeating patterns as a kid? I had the most toxic friendship when I started first grade. Um, it was this girl who was friends with me at home, but would ignore me in school, tell other mm. people not to be my friend. She physically would like threw um, pool balls at me. She whipped me with a chain once. She stole money. And I was a child. We were like six or seven years old. And now with the knowledge I have as a grown up, like, she was obviously going through trauma in her own life and if she thought that was normal behavior. But is that, oh, like she would, her and her sister would lock me in the basement and quiz me and I'd get in trouble if I didn't do stuff. And I was just in this twisted elementary school friendship. Can that have long lasting effects on the people I choose? And or is, is that too much to share? 100% because that is crazy. Yeah, and I've never mentioned me, it in therapy. That I, as I was prepping to talk to you, I was like, you know, my first friend was a fucking maniac. And knowing her life, like both her parents died of cancer. Like she did have a hard mm. life, so I'm not blaming her. Mm. But she really, she really did weird stuff to me. Yeah, no, 100%. And I have, and again, I'm not a psychologist. However, I have had women who come in and will say, well, this happened to me. And I'll say, well, when did that happen? 20 years ago. And so sure, that could put you on alert to wonder what another person's motives are, or you've had a very real experience where a person looked very loyal to you and then betrayed you in the worst way. And you've seen it happen with your own eyes. So part of you wonders like, who's to say that won't happen again? I've, I've seen it happen. And so you enter into new friendships with that same uh, complex or with that same anticipation because you've seen it before. So I totally get how that would make a person be at, you know, dis-ease with new people because you've had a very real experience of women being threatening to you, physically, emotionally threatening to you. You've seen a capacity for like darkness and other women. I totally get that. I think the the you know, therapy with realizing, okay, that doesn't speak for everyone. If I'm trying to experience real platonic intimacy, like there's always going to be risk and keeping a realistic idea. There's always gonna be a risk that the new girl you meet is awful or that she's awesome, but you will not experience awesome unless you try for it. So maybe you want to get better at seeing certain signs that, okay, that that feels a little toxic or that didn't make me feel comfortable and maybe go in with, you know, eyes open, but how long do we let our trauma um, get in the way of developing new, potentially super healthy, super fulfilling relationships. That's so true. I think what has happened is I say, oh, is that person toxic and nuts? I'm going in. That's my problem. Instead of being cautious, <laughs> I think it's like a familiar pattern or something. Because uh, there right. is one friendship in the past 
um, like five or so years where everyone was like, she's nuts. And I went, I don't care. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God, this is way too much. Um, and outside of all of the friendship stuff, I just think you're so inspiring in terms of especially now when people are following their passions and quitting jobs and doing stuff where you said people thought you were crazy. Like, what is this? This isn't real. And now you've created a way to help so many people. You're writing a book. That's going to be great. And maybe just share where else listeners can find you or what you're working on. You mentioned your podcast. Um, and it's just inspiring that you've created a whole new lane for people. It's cool. Yeah, I, I, and I appreciate that. You know, I just argued that if you can get a business coach for your business or like a marriage counselor, if you sought that kind of support, people would applaud you and be like, wow, that's so responsible, good for you. So why not get support for what I would argue is the most important relationship you'll ever have? And research shows that. It shows that the single greatest determining factor on your overall life satisfaction is the quality of your relationships, not your income and not your marital status. So why are we not getting support for our friendships? when it's having like very real impact on people's lives. And so when I realized that, I was like, why not, you know, be a resource in that way? But um, yeah, so it's been a really fun journey the past couple of years to operate in this space. And all our stuff is over at betterfemalefriendships.com. We specifically work with women. Um, and, you know, my book doesn't come out till 2024 because publishing is just like such a slow world, but, you know, it'll be here one day. Um, and so, yeah, so everything's at betterfemalefriendships.com. And my podcast is the Friend Forward podcast. And that's literally all we talk about, which allows us to go deep in into that, you know, arena because it's all we talk about is female friendship and stuff people aren't really talking about anywhere else. Um, so that's really nice. And so, yeah, so it's been really great to operate in this space. It's been a blessing to serve so many women. And um, I just look forward to continuing to to do the work, these conversations. And before you go, I would like to ask Carrie and Charlotte, the episode where Carrie is broke and everyone starts offering her money. And everyone's mm -hmm. like, Charlotte, what a bitch. Why aren't you selling that ring mm -hmm. off? Did you have do you have a strong opinion? Should should Charlotte have been more willing to give money? Did she do the right thing in the end? Did you have strong opinions? The whole money thing is like a whole uh, yeah. conversation. <laughs> we act yeah, we actually have an episode on that coming up in the next season of Friend Forward about money and friendship because it's a very real thing. Um, so the plug for that. But that is always really tricky, is is because well, I have a friend who just got and rich friendship. and I stopped Venmoing her. <laughs> she got some huge clients, and now when we go out to dinner, I'm like, if you want this money, you can request it. I'm like, you're you're on a you're on the one percent level now. I'm not giving you. I'm not yeah, Venmoing yeah. you thirty dollars, but I don't know if that's good or money not. And, yeah, money and friendship can be a tricky thing. I'll say that. Um, oh my god, thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, life, moments. Well, thank you for having me. This is the, I, I appreciate you making time to have this conversation. I think it's really necessary. And um, I appreciate you allowing me to lend my voice to the conversation. Of course. Thank you so much. Yay. So, yeah, as you can see, Danielle was incredible. So much insight, so much knowledge with such clarity. I feel very grateful for her. Hopefully you learn shit. Write to me, email, leave a thing, write her, follow her, do all of that stuff. So that's exciting. Some things I want to say when I was talking about like friends with kids and marriages, I said I'm not in that time of my life yet. And I just need to make very clear I am child free by choice forever. I've never wanted to have children since I was in third grade and it's never switched. I am desperate to be married. I want to meet someone 
going to be married within a few months. Obviously, it's scary. Are they a sociopath? Is it a Dirty John situation? Will I be murdered? Are they using me? I, I do live in a studio apartment. I don't know what like what they would use me for, but it is scary to think of that fervent kind of, is that a word? But I, that's my fantasy to meet someone and right away just be like, this is it. That's why this whole process, I, I believe everything happens when it's supposed to in the journey and you learn what you're supposed to whenever. And I just think this moment of learning how to deal with emotions and communicate clearly and all of that will help me be better at that you know, outside of other problems. So I just wanted to say that I don't want you to think I'm like desperate for a child. That ain't me. But if you need to freeze your eggs, freeze, freeze. I also feel um, kind of bad that I threw <laughs> in so last minute that my friend abused me, <laughs> that I was truly in first grade, just uh, emotionally, physically manipulated. And we were like hump friends, we would hump each other. I don't know if you had that kind of um, inappropriate relationship. She showed me her parents pocket pussy. I don't know, it was wild. But she physically harmed me and treated me bad. And I wanted her affection anyways, even though she would pretend not to know me in public or in front of other people. I'm definitely going to bring that up into therapy and it's I, I think Danielle might have been shocked at how honest and forthcoming I was I do feel proud at her compliments of like understanding what I do wrong and being able to acknowledge that the problem is me in many instances and can be me but that doesn't mean now that I know that I act perfect or that I'm like above anybody I, and if you know me personally and you're listening, you're like, nobody ever thought that. I gravitate towards people that want to use me to feel better about themselves in some way. And they like to keep me down. But that doesn't seem realistic because I am so outspoken in so many ways. But this is too much. It's episode one, honey. Um, we'll get into all of that. And another thing that I was reminded of, like, that's familial, is I didn't mention how my mom she would come home from work after getting into fights all the time. It was kind of just like, ooh, what happened? And she was not scared of anything. Like, she would stand up in a meeting and yell at her boss, who was fucking the boss above them. And it's like, you are not scared. She stopped going to the Christmas parties. She was always just like such a wild bitch, but stood up for herself, just didn't know how to. You know, it's all about how you communicate and learning the most effective way to get what you want. And screaming at a boss who's fucking the up above boss is not the way to do it. But every a few times a year, my mom would come home in a rage and just scream, tell us about about all these fights so it is genealogical and I like to say that my parents uh, gave me both of them gave me all of their worst qualities I'm very grateful to them for that I also one question I did forget to ask Danielle that I'm thinking about is like this friendship that ended in my life that was over a decade long like I feel like a sociopath because I don't miss the friendship I don't miss it at all. Uh, there goes days where I don't think, and then I'll remember the person and be like, oh, fuck. I haven't thought about them in days. And it just feels so strange to not miss someone that's been in your life that long. But it was just, you know, I read one of Virgo's done, they're done. It maybe it was a long time coming, but I did want to ask her, like, am I a psychopath that I don't miss this big friendship I ended. So that's what, that's it. I am a stoner. So the end will just be like everything I forgot about. Just cute wrap ups. I want to do segments, maybe like enemy of the week. Like that would be fun. And um, another enemy I have is the clothing in my room. Um, I, I always try to purge, give away, get rid of, and I have, I'm just drowning in clothing at all times constantly. And I'm tired of 
living in a mess. So that's it. And I talked about the masked guy earlier. Obviously, he was an enemy. Um, no other enemies. I actually called Jimmy John's at three at 256 and they closed at three, it said online. And I was like, it's probably too late to order delivery, right? And he said, nah, I'll bring it to you. And he did look like a little troll. Um, I did order an Unwitch, if you're wondering. Brag alert. Um, and I tipped him well, but whatever i don't know why i called him a troll it's so rude but i guess i could do whatever the fuck i want the show's called enemies and i'm just so grateful and i hope this is good and leave a good or bad review i don't give a shit because any traffic is good traffic and that's all that matters baby money 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 no and growing as a human dealing with conflict please reach out be a guest let's do this baby um and if you know my high school science teacher mr chung tell him i'm coming for him i'm coming for you mr chung um thanks so much enemies is a headgum podcast trish hadley is our executive producer engineer and editor Katie Moose is our supervising producer from HeadGum. Me, Lisa Traeger, I am also a producer. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly Jean Andrews, for the cover art. You're incredible. Jack Krause, thank you for the theme music. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram at either at GlitterCheese or at Enemies Podcast. Tell us about your own enemies by emailing enemiesthepodcast at gmail.com or calling 323-677-1943. That was a HeadGum Podcast.